Good morning, everyone. Before I begin with our slides, I want you to look at this statement here on the board. Please, please imagine a young child saying this to you. Imagine in your head a child's voice saying this. If you miss me now, you may very well see me later. If you miss me now, in the area in which you are serving, the reason why you are here, if you miss the children, you may very well see them in your prison ministry work. A couple other interesting facts about me before we begin. Um, he kind of covered most of all of them, but uh, the other interesting thing that I like to share with people is that in addition to preaching the Word of God, I'm also a 20-year veteran of the Cincinnati Fire Division. So not only do I, thank you, not only do I try to save people from hellfire, I try to save them from real fire as well. <laughs> topic I've been assigned today is uh, the effects of incarceration on children, looking at the trauma, the toxic, toxic stress, and also looking at some protections, uh, things that we can do. Uh, there's my email address. If you have any questions about any things that we talk about today, you're more than welcome to uh, send me an, an email uh, at a later time. It's just preacher.jasper at gmail.com. <clears throat> As we think about our prison ministries, uh, there's a missing component in most of our programs. We seek to have a multifaceted approach by aiding those in prison, but most programs need another item. There is a missing piece to the puzzle. Now, as, as we've been talking throughout the various sessions, uh, there are many different elements to your jail and prison ministry workshops in your local congregations, within your cities. There's lots of things there. Um, but as we think about the topic today, many of our programs, and I, I feel comfortable saying most of our programs within our local church congregations are missing a component. And that component is uh, a family component, and in particular, one that helps children. If you were to analyze your church's jail and ministry program and ask yourself, do we do anything to help the families that are at home while the parents are away or the children while their parents are incarcerated? In most cases, the answer is going to be no. The answer is going to be no. There is no program in place in most congregations to help the children. In 2013, one uh, study found that there were 2.7 million children who had a parent who was in prison or incarcerated. 2.7 million children. Just to give you a little bit of perspective, uh, there's about 6.4 million people in the whole state of Tennessee. Almost, a little less than half. 2.7 million is actually more than the population of some of our smaller states. We have millions of children out there with parents who are incarcerated. So we do a great job at servicing parents in prison, but millions of children are suffering day after day after day while their parents are away, sometimes for a short time, sometimes for a long time, sometimes they're never coming back, and there are no programs in place in many cases, not 100% of the time, but in many cases to help these children. And so we're gonna look at some of the, the issues and struggles that they go through here over the next few moments. So let's look at some of the uh, trauma and toxic stress on children. 
study conducted just a few years ago by Rutgers, and, and, and oftentimes when universities are doing studies, they're looking at some historical data. So they were looking at some, some data from 1998, and they found that 67% of parental arrests were witnessed by the children. And in 27% of those cases, a weapon was drawn on their parent during that arrest. 67% of those arrests, the child saw mommy or daddy being arrested and sometime at gunpoint. Can you imagine the terror associated when mommy and daddy are being arrested right before those tender little eyes? Let's put ourselves in that scenario for a moment. Imagine you're a little six, seven, eight, nine, ten year old child. You're playing with your Legos, you're playing with your doll babies, playing a little video game, and all of a sudden, boom, the door's kicked in. Show me your hands, get down, get down. And mommy and daddy is thrown on the ground handcuffs put on them right before your little tender eyes. The effects of that are something that will bother them for the rest of their lives. But again, 67%, that is a huge majority of arrests are witnessed by the children. And again, a weapon is drawn in many of those cases. Some of the effects after seeing something like that. Nightmares and flashbacks. The children just wake up screaming, remembering the police coming in and taking mommy or daddy by force right in front of me. Everything was going smooth. They had just given me my Cheerios. They had just given me a Pop-Tart and all of a sudden the police came in and forcefully took them away and I don't know when they're coming back or if they're ever coming back. Nightmares and the flashbacks torture these little children who have seen that. Fear and hatred of police now develops. Many young children say, when I grow up, I want to be a police officer or a fireman or something like that. But after having witnessed this, their whole perspective changes about authority figures. Now, I'm afraid of the police. It, those are the ones who are supposed to help me in my time of distress, but now because when I was a small child, I saw them come in and take mommy and daddy away in a bad way. I don't want to have anything to do with them. I'm afraid of them because they may do the same thing to me. And I may, I may not, I've been so young that I didn't understand why mommy or daddy was taken away, so I just have a natural fear of them. That can also develop into hatred. I hate, they took mommy away. I hate the police. And so this also contributes to other factors that we have in our communities, such as we've all heard that nobody wants to snitch. There's two reasons why people don't want to snitch. They're afraid that criminals are going to come after them, but also I'm not going to help the police. I hate the police. They took mommy and daddy away. So crime gets to keep growing and flourishing because these children grow up and they either fear or hate the police. Uncontrolled rage and anger. Imagine the person that you love the most is just ripped from your hands. There's nothing that you can do about it. Many children whose parents have been uh, arrested and taken away in incarceration struggle with extreme issues of anger and to the point of rage. Within their school systems, uh, the teachers just cannot control them. They just sometimes have to have a special uh, assistant to work with those children to stay in class with them 
Uh, they have to take anger management classes. As, as a, think about that, a young child under the age of 11 having to take anger management classes. It sounds and seems ridiculous to us, but that is the reality of the world in which we live when a child has been separated from their parent, when their parent is incarcerated. There's anger and rage. And we're going to talk a little bit more about the anger uh, in a few moments. And then post-traumatic stress disorder. Just like a soldier has seen, or a police officer, or even myself as a firefighter, we have seen things that we wish we had not seen now a child has seen. Go back to the scenario I gave you a, a few moments ago. Police coming in. Those emotional and, 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 and distressful things trouble them the same way as a, a soldier could be. And so these children are struggling. But again, in general, we don't have any programs in places within our churches to aid these children who are struggling with some of these things. Some studies have shown that children of the same gender as the incarcerated parent struggle with gender identity. Uh, boys become effeminate. Girls become tomboys. When I don't have mommy or daddy to show me how I'm supposed to behave or don't have a, a, a good role model in that area there, I can struggle with my identity. In some cases, it can contribute to a child growing up and participating in a homosexual lifestyle. Now, this was some fascinating information that I just learned at a lectureship up in Ohio. Uh, Dr. James Kelly, a clinical psychiatrist who is a member of the Church of Christ, shared some information with us. And uh, psychiatrists, as they are working with people who practice homosexual uh, lifestyles, have found that in some cases, the missing same-gender parent is a contributing factor to why they do that. And the reason why is he explained to us that we are often attracted to things that intrigue us. Your husband or your wife in some way intrigued you and brought interest to you. So if I'm a little boy and I don't have a daddy, he's been in jail, I grow up and there's some other male figure, he can be around the same age as I am, I get intrigued by him and that intrigue gets twisted around and it becomes attraction. And now I'm in a relationship here. And same thing for the woman. So it can be a contributing factor to some of the people uh, who practice a homosexual lifestyle. I thought that was some fascinating information. I had never heard that before. When a child has, ha uh, has not had a, um, for a significant portion of their childhood, the same gender parent, they miss learning the aspects of how to become a man or a woman. We've all heard that statement. A woman can't teach a boy to be a man, nor can a man teach a little girl how to be a woman. And so when that parent is incarcerated, again, the little child has a huge missing element. Now, sometimes they have an aunt or uncle or a grandparent, but in many cases, they're not there every day. And so they're missing some basic things. They don't learn how to be a good husband or a good wife because that parent is missing. Many things that you and I do within our homes and within our relationships to be a good husband or be a good wife, we watched our dad or we watched our mom and we modeled some good behaviors after them. But if mom or dad, my same gender parent, is incarcerated, I can't watch dad and I don't know how when I 
grow up to be a good husband to my wife. Yes, people can teach me some things. Yes, I can read some things. But having that opportunity to witness this and see how dad took care of mom or how mom took care of dad is a missing element. And so many children grow up and they have problems uh, in their marriages. And then they have trouble learning how to be a proper parent as well. Daddy wasn't there. Now I'm daddy. What do I do? I know what mommy did, but there are some things that dads need to do and there are some things that moms need to do. And so if that parent is missing, there is a component that's now lacking. And so the child grows up and can't be as effective. I'm not saying, I'm not saying in every case, but in many cases, they struggle to be the best parent that they could be. Economic stress and poverty. When a child's parent is taken off uh, to prison, they're either left behind with one parent if they were in a two-parent home, but now whatever income that that parent was bringing in is now gone, so our income is now cut in half or, or what have you. Or the children uh, end up with grandma and granddad. Well, guess what? Grandma and granddad may be on a fixed income and retired now. They weren't planning on raising another child or two or three which are now in their household. And so their finances now become strained. I was not planning on this, but now here it is. And so the children are now struggling with some issues from an economic standpoint. And this can lead to some other things that we'll, we'll talk about here shortly. An unstable home life. Now grandparents, they do their best. They do their best, but let's think about this for a moment in conjunction with what we just talked about. Grandma and granddad are now retired on their fixed income. Uh, they've moved into their nice uh, uh, one-bedroom ranch house. We don't need the big house anymore. Uh, and now all of a sudden, here come three more children because mom and our dad is now incarcerated. Well, our finances are now stressed. We have three more mouths to feed on our, our, our retirement. Uh, we've got to buy them clothes. We've got to, our gas and electric bills up, our water bills, everything is up. And now guess what? We can't afford our home anymore. Now we may have to move to another area that's not as nice. And this adds other stresses to the children as well. Children can end up in foster care, moving from home to home. And guess what? We'll take one kid, but we won't take three. So now all of a sudden we're split up. Our relationship is, is, is never going to be the same. I'm sad, I'm away from my siblings, I'm away from my parents, and so now my home life has become very unstable, contributing to more and more trauma and turmoil for the children. They have an increased risk of abuse when their parent is taken away. Um, alternate caregivers can be abusive. This is not my child. Even if it's my grandchild, I was living the good life. I was retired, I had my little one bedroom ranch and now my world is turned upside down. I had to sell my nice retirement car and get a minivan. I had to get out of that ranch and go back into some apartment somewhere that's a little bit bigger than I could. And 
foster care, not my child again. And now, because of all the frustration I have as the caregiver, I may in some way say, you know what, you just get on my nerves, kid. You ain't no good. Your daddy or your mommy wasn't no good. You're not going to be good. So they start to suffer from this type of mental abuse. Physical abuse. We've, we've all heard, you guys, you're working it, so you know that children in foster care or in the care of persons other than their parents can experience physical abuse. Yes, sir. It also can be the, the other spouse who remain at home to take it out on the kids because it reminds them of Absolutely, the absolutely, good point. You look just like your daddy, he wasn't no good, you ain't never gonna be no good, matter of fact, take one of these with you because you remind me of him. So very, very good point there. And then the increased risk of sexual abuse. And in many cases by relatives. Well, they don't have nowhere to go. Uncle Joe Bob gonna take them in. And Uncle Joe Bob ends up <coughs> doing some inappropriate things <coughs> to both the boys and the girls. If they're in foster care, there's still a, a risk of that as well, even though they screen people, but not my child, not my blood, right? So there's some sick people out there. And so they have all these increased, uh, increased uh, risk of abuse when mom or dad are there. Again, reflect on our individual programs within our churches. What do we have in place to help these children who are suffering from these things? And in a lot of cases, we don't have anything. <clears throat> Let's talk about some uh, protections uh, and aids for the children. So we, we, we see that there are a lot of things that they go through. What are some things that we can do to aid them? First thing is assist the parents with getting out and staying out. Uh, Fair to have after release programs is a big miss for us as churches. Uh, and we, we've talked some of this uh, about reentry uh, over the past few days here. Uh, but if we don't have something in place to help the parents once they get out, you guys know the st statistics say that most people in prison have already been there before. And if there's nothing waiting for them on the outside, no help, odds are they're going to end up back in there and the children will go back into the cycle of all the abuse and all the trauma and all the toxic stress that they have been in. So, and I heard one person say in one of the presentations, we even have problems within our churches welcoming and opening up our arms of love to people we have ministered to in our prison ministries who get out and say, you guys showed me care, you actually baptized me, uh, while I was incarcerated, I now want to come worship with you. And some of us say, I'm not talking to that person. They're not like me. That's a convict. They've done time. That's a, it's not a very Christian attitude, but unfortunately it happens. And, and we need to make sure we do better. But again, having programs to help them out. Okay, I'm out now. So, okay, you, in Cincinnati, we have Cincinnati Works, as, as Sister Rose talked about. Here we've got Hope Works. Um, but again, every city doesn't have that. 
And so our churches need to uh, be uh, assisting with that as well. And even if we have that in our cities, when they come out, we should take them there and help them with it. I just got out of prison. I don't, I don't have a place to live. I don't have a car. I can't get to Hope Works. I can't get to Cincinnati Works. Can somebody take me there and help me with that? And so we need to have these after-release programs uh, to help them to be successful and not end up right back where they came from. Mentoring programs. We need to have some mentoring programs for the children, and they need to be more than a year. Studies have shown that in a lot of cases, uh, a program will get started with a child, it will last for a year, maybe a little more, and then it will be discontinued. Statistics say that does about zero to help that children stay, that, that child to stay on the right path. If it's only short term that you're mentoring with them, it's not, not, not worth it, is what the studies show. And so we need to make sure that these programs last uh, for a, a longer period of time. Research shows that when they have a good mentor, they have improved academic performance. When mommy or daddy is away and nobody seems to care about me, I surely don't care about the ABCs and the one, two, threes. But if I have a good mentor, that's encouraging me and say, hey, good, that's a good job. You got an A on that test. You got, a, you got an A or a B in that class and you continue to encourage them. They say somebody's caring, somebody's watching out for me, and they take more of an interest in their academic studies. They also have improved behavior in school. Children whose parents are incarcerated struggle. Again, we talked about with anger and rage, and that sometimes is directed towards teachers, staff members, other uh, students, and so a good mentor can help them with that as well. I've got some additional loving people who care for me, and it helps my uh, behavior improve in school. Yes, sir. And speaking of school, you're going to talk about all the fights they get into because of the stigmatism that is attached with their parents being incarcerated. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, in many cases, other students know that mom, their, 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 their mom or dad is, is in prison, and that becomes something that they get ridiculed about and talked about. And so, um, as you all know, you better not say nothing about my mama, right? <laughs> and so, I'm saying something about your mama, and I'm saying it in a derogatory manner, and I'm talking about how she's in prison. Guess what? I'm going to be in a fight every week. Or same with my dad. Yes, sir, too. Exactly. So when, when a mentor can help a child to understand, it doesn't matter what these little kids say. They, 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 they don't take care of you. They don't feed you. They don't clothe you. So, you know, don't worry about what they, they might say so much in those, those angry ways and have those outbursts. All it's going to do is make things worse for you. And so uh, a good mentor can help with that. And then thirdly, um, it reduces the chance that they're going to become involved in some criminal activity when they have a good mentor. It, it reduces it when they have somebody that cares about them. But when they, when they don't, the gang says, we care about you. You want to get in the gang? Well, you got to get initiated. So you got to go assault that person. You got to go rob that store. You got to go do this bad thing there. 
a good mentor being in place can help to reduce the chance that the child will end up involved in some criminal activity and follow the cycle. There's a cycle where generation after generation after generation, a member of the family is incarcerated. Good mentoring can break that cycle. We can help these children to do well in school. We can help them not to fight, not to be in criminal activity. They become productive citizens and go on to be future doctors, lawyers, engineers, ministers, elders, all types of good things if we can have good mentoring programs in place. One of the third things we can do to help out is have assistance with visitation of parents. In many cases, a marked improvement in all areas of the child's life can be seen if they have some type of regular visitation or contact with their incarcerated parent. I miss mommy and daddy so much. I just wish I could see them and talk to them. I wish I could give them a hug. But if months and months and months and years and years go by and I don't get that, there's something missing and so it affects me in every aspect. In school, anger, stress, all types of different things. So if we can put in place, so we're going into the jail on regular basis uh, with our, our, our programs and as you're talking with people and they talk about their family and they talk about how I have children, if there's some type of way where you can work out within the parameters of your system to at some interval bring the children to come and see mom or dad, it will have a positive effect on them in many cases. There's a young man in my congregation who recently obeyed the gospel who comes to church with his grandparents. He's, uh, I believe he's 16 years old or almost 16 years old. His mother struggles with uh, addiction issues. Uh, I, I don't know her complete background. I have not got to meet her yet. I'm sure she's been in and out uh, of, of prison. This young man has attempted suicide three times. He has gotten into multiple fights in school. Uh, he struggles with, with anger and, 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 and so does his younger brother. But his grandparents say, he often, often says, I just wanna see my mom. And in the cases where he gets to just see her from time to time, they say he levels off and he's humming along fine. But if a long interval goes by and I don't get to see her, I'm yearning to see mommy, I love her, I decline and I go back down. So if we can think about incorporating some types of once every other month or once a month where we, we try to bring some of the children to the uh, prisoners that we minister to, and a lot of times you go in and you're ministering to the same people, they come to your Bible class, they come to your worship service, some of the same prisoners, uh, if you can work something out where you can help the children to see them, it will definitely be uh, an asset and help ch those children. Uh, counseling to address a number of needs here. Children who have the incarcerated parent are dealing with all of this trauma, all of this toxic stress, and they need some good, positive people to talk and give them some counsel with. Now before we look at some areas here, I must say this, uh, as a pastoral counselor, uh, and for those of you who are, are, are clinical uh, certified counselors, know your limits with counseling. You can help children with many things, but there are some things that you are not equipped to help with. 
For example, we want children struggle with a lot of anger issues. Some angry children of uh, incarcerated parents cut themselves. I am comfortable in saying that probably everyone in this room except for one or two people is not qualified to help a child who has so much anger and so much turmoil going on that they're cutting themselves. There's a level of training and expertise that is needed to help with that. We, we can't say, oh, it's going to be okay. You, you, you. A child who is cutting themselves could quickly lead to suicidal issues. Now, cutting normally is not I'm trying to kill myself initially. It's just I'm, I'm, I'm mutilating myself. But it, it, it leads down that road. Know your limits. If a child that you're trying to help is doing something in that nature, you got to say, is it, can, can, can we talk to somebody else about this? Because we can, we can, uh, we can think that, now we, we like to think that there's a cape flapping back behind us and I can do everything <laughs> and my cape is flapping and then oh, I'm going to try to help this child that's, that's doing this and a month or so later the child is gone. When we could have said this is above my area to deal with uh, so let's, let's Let's eat our humble pie every now and then and say, this is not something that I can, I can help with. We need to get some additional uh, resources here. So, but they need, they need counseling with, with the anger. And as, as uh, Brother Ken and Brother Chip uh, touched on some things there, let's, let's, let's help them and, and equip them with some tools to deal with their anger, some other outlets for it, uh, so that they don't become uh, problems and get into fights and things of that nature. Sadness and depression. They need some counsel with sadness and depression. Mommy or daddy is gone. I just feel sad all the time. Uh, and and it, it, it moves into depression. When we talk about depression, we just think about that being an adult problem. No, that is not just an adult problem. And many children suffer with sadness and depression. Now, going back to what we were talking about before, having a good mentor can help with some of these things. Additional people that care about me, additional people that show me love, that spend time with me, can help me to deal with some of my feelings of, um, of sadness and depression. And so, again, as we think about our programs, how can, we, how can we help these children? We all have some big church congregation cookout once a year. Bring some of those children and let them run around and, and, and kick the balls and get in the bounce house that you guys have set up. Uh, we have youth programs in our churches. Take some of those children to the zoo, to the museum, or wherever our, our youth programs are taking those children. And, and incorporate them into that um, so that they can not feel sad, alone, depressed, uh, in their particular situations. And often, think about it, if we incorporate them into those types of programs, we're also introducing them to the Lord Jesus as well. And in many cases, those children accept Christ, and guess what? Some family members say, what exactly is going on with that program over there? And now we have brought them in, and they're in the church, and they're listening and say, this is a good place. I think I want to be a part of this as well. So there's a win-win-win situation uh, that's going on there. Uh, those are what are referred to as side door opportunities to bring people to Christ. Most people come through our front door. A side door is when they come in some other way other than on Sunday morning. So uh, these types of things can, can help us to bring both children and additional family members to Christ. And then they struggle with self-esteem issues and feelings of worthlessness. Everybody else has 
mom and dad. I don't. They're gone. I'm not as good as everybody else. They have a stable home life. They have two parents. So now they look in the mirror and they say, I'm worthless. It affects their ability to do well in everything when they get there. And that affects all of their relationships. And so we have to be the ones that are telling those children, you are somebody. You can do great things. I know some bad things have happened in your life, but there's nothing that you can't accomplish if you put your mind to it and uh, you work hard. But again, if mommy or daddy is away, and uh, as I believe Brother Chip said, all the kids at school are, are telling me, uh, oh, you're, you're the child of a jailbird and all these different little mean things that they might say, my self-esteem just keeps dropping down and dropping down if there's nobody there to help me to deal with those things. Children of incarcerated parents also deal with abandonment issues. Even though in many cases they saw the parent being taken away by the police, which is technically not them abandoning them, but they still have the issue of mommy or daddy are gone and they deal with abandonment issues. So now I grow up and I'm in a relationship and I get to a certain point and I do what's called self-sabotaging behavior. I do something to break the relationship off. Why is that? Because I'm afraid if I stay in this relationship, eventually you're going to abandon me just like mommy or daddy did. So these children grow up and they can't have successful relationships. They can't have successful marriages. And in many cases, uh, you, I have seen it for, for sure, uh, even if they do get to the point of getting married, we see some of these people getting divorced, remarried, divorced, remarried, and that's because of the abandonment issues that they struggle with from mommy or daddy being taken away. <coughs> so it makes them having a stable relationship very difficult. And so for us, as we're counseling them, we have to let them know, first of all, it's not your fault that mommy or daddy has gone away. Also, you don't have to think that everybody is going to desert you. And guess what? Here's where one of, the, one of the issues that we just talked about a moment comes in with the mentoring programs. Again, if the mentoring program is short term, guess what? Mommy and daddy abandoned me. My mentor came, hung out with me for a little while. Then they abandoned me. They didn't want to have anything to do with me anyway. We have done actually more damage to that child. So they're going to be less than, uh, um, than, than they were before. Go ahead. You're going to talk about some. <laughs> I was trying to get you to talk about that. Uh, I've got children that are in the system of Mm-hmm. <laughs> 
So, to go along with saying, if we have a grieving child that nobody's caring for, nobody's addressing that, it just contributes to more sadness, more depression, more anger. Think about the grieving process that we go through when we lose a loved one. We, we want people to come and, and care for us and show us some love and, and be there for us. If we don't get it, we grieve all alone. It's, it's a sad thing, right? And so we want to make sure that the children uh, aren't grieving alone as well. And then we need to have some kind of a reconciliation uh, with the parent after release programs. Now think about this for a moment here. Uh, we tend to think it's just the parent gets out, it's one big hug and a kiss, and everything goes back to normal. I'm sorry to tell you that in a lot of cases that's not the case. Why is that not the case? Here's a couple of reasons why. There's still some anger. Why did you leave me? I was seven years old. I was playing and you left me. Another part of a, a statistic that uh, as, as we think about the arrests um, in, in conjunction with this, why did you leave me? Now we talked about 67% of arrests uh, are, are witnessed. Well, that leaves 33% in another category. Some of my research I found that a lot of parents are arrested while the children are at school or away. And they come home and all of a sudden, where's mommy or daddy at? So now I'm really angry. So you come home and we got to deal with, I'm angry because you left me. I don't know all the reasons why you went away, but I'm, I'm, mad, I'm mad still, and we got to deal with that. Yes, ma'am. So that goes back to one of our previous points. If we can somehow have some type of visitation program or whatever we can do to aid that parent and that child staying in contact with each other and we can help make soften the blow uh, when that child uh, is released of, of, of some of that anger. Uh, also, who are you? I don't know you. 
I may have been two or three years old when you got arrested and you did 15 years. Now I'm 17 or 18, I'm getting ready to graduate from high school. You're getting released from prison. I don't even know you. Now it's a great thing if the parent wants to get out and they want to reconcile with their children and have a relationship with them. But in a lot of cases, it's not like the children's like, okay, come on, we're just gonna be like nothing ever happened. It's not reality. And so, hopefully, hopefully, now if we've done well and having some visitation and helping along the way, they, they will know them, but there are some cases where they don't know them. And so we, we, we who have been working with children and mentoring with those children can say to them, why don't you give mommy or daddy a chance? Now, now at this point, grandma or uncle or our foster parent has, has become mommy or daddy for them, okay? So now they're, your parent that's coming out is not trying to replace whoever has shown you this love for these past 15 years, but they want to have a relationship with you. And we need to be about the business of trying to uh, help facilitate that. And then lastly, uh, as my time has been hit to me, um, when they get released, I'm ashamed of you and I'm embarrassed. So let's, let's, let's take a case where I'm, I'm, I'm five and my parents did something and they did five years. Okay, now, now I'm 10 when they come back out. Little kids in school have known I'm ashamed for you to walk me to school. I'm embarrassed by you because the other kids knew uh, that you were in jail. And so we have to teach them forgiveness and reconciliation with mom and dad and, and help them to get over some of the, the pains and the strains and the uh, feeling ashamed of their parents uh, who may have made some mistakes. Um, questions, comments, additional thoughts? We got about two minutes left here probably. Uh, we'll, We'll kind, of, we'll kind of end uh, here. Now this, this is n by far not the entire gambit of the trauma and the stresses that children go through. Sit down at your computer, go into your favorite browser, and just put in children of incarcerated parents and you will get study after study and report after report and, and tons of data out there um, about the things that they struggle with and the things that they're in need of. But again, I want you to analyze your church's program and say, do we have something in place to help the families and in particular the children of the incarcerated people that we're working with? And if the answer is no, maybe your team should sit down and say, how can we put in some type of a component to help these children? I want you to read this statement one more time before you leave and think about a child saying this to you. If you miss me now, you may very well see me later in your jail and your prison ministry workshops. God bless you and do not grow weary in the well-doing that you're doing. Amen.